Hey everyone, my name's Darcy, and today the topic I know that's top of mind for about 70% of the audience roughly every 18 months is how long I should fix my mortgage for at the moment. Refixing in 2021 is the topic today, and as far as your guest goes, you'll be hearing from someone today with a very large mortgage, a financial advisor, and a podcast host all rolled into one. Now, who could that be? Who knows? So today's episode is inspired partly by lockdown and partly by a revolving discussion I've had with many, many, many clients in the last few months, in particular around mortgages. Now, when you have the same conversation several times per week over about 18 years, you start to pick up on a few themes. So today I'm going to share with you some frequently asked questions and some frequently given replies around fixing interest rates on mortgages. Now, all this talk of mortgages not for you, you're debt free, and perhaps you think this isn't relevant. Well, firstly, well done on being debt free. I doubt you would have received a gift basket from your bank upon reaching this milestone, but honestly, well done. Now, before you go, though, thinking there's nothing in it for you could be a bit of a mistake because I think you'll still find out there's something in here of interest for almost anyone. Market timing, diversification versus concentration, the relationship between risk and return, a passive or active strategy, all these finance principles can apply in multiple areas, and I'll be covering off some of them today. So yes, just because the topic is debt doesn't mean it's not part of building wealth. So stick around, you debt-free, hopefully older person you. Let's get on with it. Welcome to the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast. In this podcast, I cover a wide range of topics ranging from passive investing, property investment, and even crypto, all designed to help everyday Kiwis build new wealth in the new world that we're heading into. I'm Darcy Ungaro, your host and financial advisor. Hopefully the content presented here gets you thinking about tools available to build wealth and the ways that you can use them effectively. Please keep in mind that none of this is financial advice. Investments or strategies discussed may not be suitable for everyone, so be sure to do your own research before acting on anything discussed today. Further information on today's show can be found by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player. Here you're going to find some show notes which will contain all relevant links relating to today's topic. The NZ Everyday Investor Podcast is hosted on the podcast.nz network and is brought to you in partnership with Hatch, who lets you put your money to work in the U.S. share market. Hope you enjoy the show. Now, about a third of my conversations each week center on mortgages and property-related things. Maybe about half of that third is talking to people around how long to fix the interest rate on their mortgage for. Now, to some of you, that may sound really dull, I suppose, but I think it's actually pretty interesting. Now, what we're led to believe around where mortgage rates are likely heading can often be a mixed bag of information. I really question things when bankers or economists are convinced they know what's going to happen next, because I'm pretty sure they have no clue at all either. Certainly no more of a clue than the average borrower who invests a small amount of time into thinking things through carefully, and, in the end, trusting their gut. So, I think having a good thing, and ideally if you can, having a chat with someone who's qualified can make a huge difference in where you end up long term and how much you pay in interest to the bank and what kind of risks you take along the way. Fixed rate mortgage decisions are at the intersection between decisions that can be controlled by borrowers and risks that cannot be controlled at all. So, some frequently asked questions and some frequently given answers today. 
I hope that you find this useful. Now, if you've ever had a mortgage, you probably have thought through some of these things that I'm going to cover today, but maybe not everything and not in the way that I'm going to frame it. And just to be clear from the outset, you're not getting a mortgage rate prediction here, or you're not going to get an explicit instruction on how long everybody should fix for. But what you are going to get is a perspective that, if you're a bit of a thinking person, may just help you with a bit of your next decision. So question number one, why should we fix the interest rate on our mortgage? Now, this may sound crazy, but there have been times when the floating interest rate was the cheapest on offer. And it was really hard to convince people of the benefits of paying more for certainty. Fixed interest rates have been much cheaper than floating rates now for quite a while. But this question of why we should fix the interest rate is actually a common thing people ask. I'll give an answer, but first, let's clear the air around three different terms that are often used when discussing mortgages. Now, by term, I don't mean a phrase or a word, but I mean a length of time. Now, the loan term, or the period of time in which the bank will allow you to have a mortgage for, is the first thing. Often, when you take out a mortgage, you may select the longest loan term, like 30 years, and then as you go through life with increasing income, you may decide to decrease the loan term. All this does is adjust the ratio of principal to interest, the principal being the amount that you borrowed and the interest being the cost of borrowing the money from the bank. Now, the next term is the interest-only term. If you've bought a rental property or you've taken out debt to invest in something else, often, but unfortunately not always, the interest is tax-deductible. So borrowers, especially when they have a non-tax-deductible debt like their personal mortgage, often elect to park the more tax-efficient debt on the side in the form of an interest-only mortgage. The interest-only term can be up to five years generally, and when it expires, it often requires a fresh application or request to the bank to request another interest-only term. Now, some banks are harder than others to get these requests approved, and for property investors in particular, it pays to consider the risks associated with getting interest-only declined or withdrawn at some point in the future. Now, the last term is what we're going to focus on today. This is the fixed-rate term. This is the period of time in which you agree the interest rate will be locked in for. The loan term, the interest-only term, and the fixed-rate term are all completely independent of each other. When you fix your mortgage, all you're doing is agreeing with the bank that for a period of time, typically between one to five years normally, the interest rate cannot change. At the end of the fixed-rate term, you need to arrange another fixed-rate term or the loan account turns into a floating rate, which is typically higher, and it's subject to change at any stage. If you also have an interest-only term at any stage during the fixed rate period, your principal payments could recommence upon the expiry of the interest-only term. It's common for people to get caught out like this, so that's why I'm mentioning it. It's a quick tip while we're on this topic. Now remember, six weeks out of an interest-only rate expiry or interest-only expiry, put it in your diary. Makes sense. That way you're never going to lose track or forget about it. Now, the reason why we fix the interest rate is because floating rates float. And most people prefer certainty, especially if it's cheaper. Now, a bunch of things affect interest rates. Some things are really simple, some things complex, and some downright mysterious. And by mysterious, I just mean hard to understand. Not like Nancy Drew type mysterious level here, but just medium mysteriousness. Some of the simple things perhaps you know about, like the official cash rate or OCR, more about this shortly, or changes to interest rates overseas or inflation expectations or the economy. Some of the trickier things that influence interest rates, 
revolve around the money creation and destruction story that occurs between the retail bank and the IRD. More on this story one day. Now, if we're borrowing money to invest in or own things, we're exchanging something that's programmed to lose value over time. That's our money. For something tangible, ideally scarce, and something that's increasing in value. It's the ultimate trade. And to be honest, this is actually what investing is trading something that's extremely temporary for something less temporary. So when we do this, we need to ensure that we can always be in a position to repay the debt that we take out. Now, throughout this episode, I'm referring to debt, by the way, but what I really mean is a mortgage. So we get rid of our debt either gradually with our after-tax income, or we get rid of it from a house sale, inheritance, or the sale of some other investment, and so on. So why fix the mortgage? Well, simple answer is because it's cheaper and it gives you a little bit a certainty. See, I told you I'd answer it eventually, but thanks for hanging in there. Next question I get is, what do you think is going to happen with interest rates? Now, I get this quite a bit, I must confess, and I like answering this question with people, though, because it's where I have the privilege of standing in between the financial things that people can't control and the things that people can control. Some borrowers, just like some investors, put far too much weight on the macro with little regard for the micro or the other way around. More on this in a second. Now, a lot of stuff, though, impacts the interest rate that you pay on the mortgage. Some of it can be really interesting to learn about, but this is one of the areas where learning about everything out there doesn't normally translate into making good decisions in here, at home, where you actually do have some influence. So when I get asked this question, I'll have a good guess as to what may be happening with interest rates, just like the rest of them, but I try to do this by looking through two different lenses, ideally at the same time. The micro or what I refer to as the risk management lens, and the macro, where it's more about speculating where interest rates will be at some point in time in the future. The micro-macro refocusing exercise is a good wee hack on the mind to force good decision-making when it comes to your mortgage. If you can master this technique around the decisions with refixing your mortgage, you can start to apply it with other parts of your investment portfolio too. Now, when I think micro, these are some of the questions I'm thinking of. What's my income going to be like in the next one to five years? Will I want to sell something, sell a property and move on to a different area at some stage? Do I have significant renovations coming up or are we going to have another child? Well, with that last one, I can answer no. But you get the idea. All the things that I know or I ought to know about what's happening in my world in the next one to five years, that's the micro lens. Now, all these things should be taken into consideration because here's the risk if you don't. You'll end up fixing for longer than your ownership intentions and you'll end up paying break fees at some point in the future. Now, interestingly, this is where there's a wee connection between the mind that's trying to figure out what term to fix the mortgage rate for, and the investor who likes a bit of excitement or risk with their investments. However, they've forgotten that the funds invested may be needed in just a few years' time. Too much focus on the good or the bad news in the wider economy in areas that you cannot control while you ignore what's happening at home, it's a recipe for disaster. Now, going back to the homeowner and the one refixing the mortgage, though, let's say you have a three-year-old child and you don't really like the school in your area. You worry that inflation is getting out of control, though, so you refix your mortgage for four years. Now, if interest rates are lower when it's time to sell your home in two years, you're pretty much guaranteed to get stung with the break fee. Now, here's where I need to pause. I've mentioned break fees for the second time now. So what is it? Sarcastically put, 
A break fee is the prize you get for not thinking about decisions in the right order. It's the fee that you pay when you put the macro ahead of the micro. But seriously, break fees are what you pay when you repay all or part of your mortgage before the fixed term ends. Now, the savings that you get by being on the lower rate, in most cases, if you're still borrowing going forward, is roughly similar to the break fee, though. So over time, as long as you don't continually break your mortgage and pay a fee to chase a lower rate and borrow to do it, it all comes close to balancing out. Still, if you win with fixing your interest rates, it's because you locked in the cost of your borrowed money for a period of time, a period of time in which interest rates were higher than what you chose to lock in for. I guess what I'm saying is some mistakes can be easily avoided simply by factoring in your microeconomic environment and risks first because these are items you can control and know about. But now, I'm forgetting the macro. And here's the part that I find super entertaining. And it is really just entertainment. Because there's so much diversity in opinion. Some believe inflation will skyrocket and the only thing to do is buy gold and head for the hills. These same people now believe the contrarian strategy is to keep on investing according to a well-thought-out and purposeful plan. Other people believe that when you zoom in on anything, it looks pretty scary. But if you zoom out and look at things over a longer time horizon, investing in a steady-as-she-goes manner consistently over time will likely get the job done just fine. Bad news and scaremongering sells. The boring, obvious, and somewhat complicated story doesn't sell so much. It's a curious thing. Now, a lot of things out there in the macroeconomic environment can influence the interest rate on your mortgage. I think you have a right to know the stuff. And to be honest, I think on balance, it's a rewarding headspace to wiggle around in too. Firstly, the US dollar. Worried that Bitcoin isn't an environmentally friendly asset to hold on to due to its energy consumption, or that it's the preferred tool by one out of a hundred criminals? Well, shall we talk about the ethics of owning investments denominated in a currency which is backed by nothing other than the world's largest military instead? This is something interesting to watch because at some stage, if the US dollar gets knocked off its perch, and I don't know any other way to say this, there's going to be war involved physically and financially. Now, this may sound a bit fringe to you or at the very least a little disturbing, and I'm sorry about that, but... There could be some truth in this. The entire global financial system is effectively kept afloat by a perpetual US dollar denominated money creation machine. Regardless of the reason why it's justified, the speed this machine runs at and the way that central banks run across the world in unison could keep the cost of money suppressed for quite some time. Could. Now, by having a look at the US dollar, I think you can gain a little bit of confidence in the longer-term trends for interest rates. When supply increases and demand decreases for anything, the price goes down, right? Now, this has been the story over 50 years with the US dollar. Almost to the day in 1971, Nixon took the US dollar off the gold standard. Now, I have no idea of the end game here, I must confess, and how this plays out in terms of interest rates in New Zealand, I'm not entirely sure. But if I ever hear a believable explanation around this, I'll let you know. Now, the next thing to look at is what's happening in the property market, the share market, and the crypto markets. Most markets, you could say, are highly correlated right now. They're kind of all moving up and down in the same way, more or less. It's harder than ever to find genuine diversification around all the mainstream investments. As discussed already, all traditional markets are either directly or indirectly connected to the same thing. 
the US dollar as the denominator. Property, crypto, share markets, it all feels artificially high right now, but I don't think anyone could confidently say that the bull run is over yet. If markets and or the economy tanks, generally interest rates would decrease. This is the natural order of things. The issue is, where do we go when interest rates are already this low? I know we all want our low interest rates. If we're borrowers, we want them to be super low, right? But falling interest rates from here on in could be actually the sign of something that's no better at creating life anymore than it is at sustaining itself. Now, some other areas really quickly that I think about from time to time, demographics, deflation, and the creative destruction thing coming from blockchain-based technology. These are big, big topics, and they can indeed impact where interest rates may be heading. So ideally, some of these things should inform your next financial decision around refixing your mortgage. Although it's not all about the big picture complex economicsy type stuff, let me share this fond memory just to illustrate the point of why it's important to look at the macro and the micro. In early 2008, almost everyone I was talking to about mortgages were fixing for 9.4%. That was what was going on uh, roughly around 9.4%, I think it was, for the five-year fixed interest rate term. That was one of the cheapest terms available at the time. The global financial crisis had finally arrived on our shores and the interest rates had been increasing consistently for a while. People freaked out. More than a few economists called for a housing market crash. One of them said it would never, ever rebound again. And they were also saying that even higher interest rates would soon follow. Well, history doesn't repeat, but it surely does rhyme in this space. Many thought we were going to go back to 18% on the interest rates back then. Unfortunately, those very same people, about a year later, who fixed for 9.4%, were more than willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars on break fees to get the latest two-year rate for 6%. Here's the lesson. We're not great at timing the market. Any market, including fixed mortgage rates. Thinking about how you would cope if interest rates increased, that's really important because you need to ensure you can sustainably hold debt under a range of situations. But a strong focus on that with no consideration to the macroeconomic situation can be all sorts of risky. Okay, now I do feel a subtle, this is not financial advice disclaimer coming up. I'll make it quick, don't worry. There you go, told you I'd be quick. Okay, so before we go on, I'd like to give a bit of airtime here to Hatch also, one of the partners of the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast. Hatch is the platform that I've personally used to build my very own portfolio of US-based shares. And here's the good news. You can use them too. It's not just for me. You can even use Hatch with your kids. I'm doing exactly that right now, and they're actually kind of sort of maybe getting into it. What I like, though, about Hatch is that the platform is super easy to use, it's affordable, and they're a New Zealand-based business that supports podcasters like me. Now, check out the show notes for a link to click on where you'll get a $20 top-up for the first $100 that you deposit into a brand new account. Okay, let's keep going here. Here's another frequently asked question. How can you tell when interest rates are going to change? I like this one because it really gets you thinking, and I like to think, I think, more of us should consider doing it. And well done for those who do it. Now, generally speaking, there's a man-made link between inflation and interest rates. 
If you're into learning more about inflation, by the way, check out episode 172, Where To From Here, with ANZ Chief Economist Sharon Zollner. That was only a few weeks ago. Or with another economist, Chris Tennant-Brown from ASB, Inflation, Friend or Foe. That's episode 104. Links in the show notes. Now, simplistically, inflation is a way to describe the rate of price changes over time. Inflation, however, can also be a way to describe how value leaks out of the currency that we use. Lastly, in the context of investing or consumption, inflation is what happens when you increase the supply of the denominator. Okay, the rules of the game that used to apply in the past, specifically that interest rates increase when inflation is strong or decrease when inflation is weak, they do not have to apply in the future. That's kind of the big lesson of 2020, right? Now, in the past, you'd be safe to assume that when inflation or the general rise in the growth rate of prices and wages picked up, that interest rates would be increased also. Significant and sustained inflation is accepted as a social harm. So creating a handbrake of sorts in the financial system, that of increasing the cost of money, is designed to slow down economic activity and ideally restore the level of inflation in the Goldilocks zone, which is typically around 2%. Inflation, you could say, is a natural phenomenon that occasionally occurs. And much like pandemics, bushfires, and other natural disasters, we humans think, hey, if we can reduce harm, let's reduce harm. Simple. This is where the intervention comes in. Each central bank in the world has a mechanism which can be adjusted that indirectly affects the cost of money or interest rates. In New Zealand, this is the OCR or official cash rate. The OCR lever is pulled in situations where inflation is at the upper bound of what can be tolerated in a financial system. The cost of money is increased in order to dissuade spending and incentivize saving or debt repayment. Think about the last five years in particular. The cost of money has been on a steady decline, which was really accelerated last year. The idea is to create a sugar rush of economic activity in the spirit of breathing life into what could otherwise be Frankenstein's monster, without turning the economy into an insulin-dependent diabetic, too. Now, low interest rates increases the speed at which money moves around. This, combined with quantitative easing, which you can learn about in episode 148, link in the show notes, ultimately this new money flows to assets first, then to consumption, then to wages, and ultimately towards taxation. In optimistic times, when the cost of money is low, more money gets created through the banking system in New Zealand. Next time you take out a mortgage, ask the question... Where was this money before you gave it to me? If I get a chance, I'll put a link into some work by Richard Werner and Simon Dixon around money creation. Now, at the moment, what we're seeing right now is some pretty clear language from our Reserve Bank in New Zealand around how interest rates are imminently on the rise in New Zealand. Many commentators in the mainstream and good, respectable economists believe the message that the Reserve Bank is putting out there. This is where I'd like to offer a slightly contrarian view, if I may. And keep in mind that this isn't even so much of a theory, because I have, I have no idea how to go about proving or disproving it. But here goes. I just wonder if there may be a little reluctance behind closed doors to actually proceed with higher interest rates in the form of increasing the OCR. Now, I'm not saying the Reserve Bank is lying or anything, but they do have an incentive to get us all to think and behave as if interest rates are going to increase, and they also may prefer to leave the settings as they are for just a little while longer. 
Now, in New Zealand, it's super interesting, as we may not actually have a sick economy, not yet, but we still have to take the same medicine that all the other countries are taking. In other words, our central bank needs to allow for low interest rates until such time as other central banks, specifically the U.S., is ready to raise their interest rates. Now, making the first move to hike up interest rates would indeed create a few problems for our dollar and our export earnings and potentially a whole host of other things too. Now, keep in mind, this isn't even a theory. It's just pure conjecture and I'm likely wrong. But all this to frame a question. Do you believe, even if we do see inflation pick up, that interest rates will in fact increase? Now, I'm not going to suggest here that interest rates are never increasing by any amount ever, but the question is really aimed at helping you to align your financial decision here, that of fixing your mortgage, to what you really believe is going on, not from some so-called expert. I think you struggle to find an economist at the moment who isn't in agreement, though, that for the most part, we are indeed ready for higher interest rates in New Zealand. Here's the bit you won't hear, though. I suspect that due to the global alignment of central bank policies, I think any and every excuse that comes along to justify the delay in increasing the OCR will be fully taken advantage of. But let's get to mainstream thinking here, though, in line with inflation and interest rates. Here's the core question you and I need to keep going back to when deciding how long to fix interest rates for. Either inflation is transitory or it's not. If inflation is only visiting for a short while, much like the phenomenal rise in asset prices over the last year, then we really have nothing to be overly concerned about. We don't need to beg for higher interest rates. We don't need to fret either that the general cost for goods and services relative to our income is getting out of balance. We don't need to worry about any inequality around the runaway housing market either because the rate of change in prices is only temporary. Eventually, the theory goes, this will flow through into wages and the whole system will reach a new equilibrium. Now, I know this isn't a perfect argument, but that's how I'd see the argument for temporary inflation. In other words, if it's only here for a while, why all the fuss about everything else? So, if you believe that inflation is transitory, so also are the higher interest rates that we've seen recently, and so also is all the scaremongering that economists and mainstream journalists are engaging in. Right, so let's talk about the other side of this. What would happen if inflation did materialize? Is there a best strategy with interest rates under this situation? Well, this is where we again need to reference our belief in whether the powers that be will behave as they did in the past, or will they behave differently this time around? If we go through a period of inflation like what we saw in the 1970s, then get ready for significantly higher interest rates. However, before you rush out and fix your mortgage for five years under the assumption that we're going to hit double digits again, remember the average household today is far more sensitive to smaller interest rate adjustments. This is because we have significantly larger amounts of mortgage debt. You most certainly will see an increase in interest rates at some stage. I can promise you that. But the amount of the increase could be a bit more modest this time around, in my humble opinion. Average household debt loads are significantly larger than they used to be. That's one reason why rates may not need to increase by much. But also, 
The Reserve Bank of New Zealand has other tools it can use, other tools to influence house price inflation like loan-to-valuation ratio restrictions, debt-to-income ratio restrictions, capital reserve requirements, interest-only restrictions, interest rate floors, all that sort of stuff. And also, the government may roll out a few new tricks too. In fact, what the Reserve Bank createth in the form of higher levels of wealth for the already-haves the government will take away in the form of a higher tax take for the have-nots. Put that on a cat poster. Or as my four-year-old would say, wood is the t-shirt of your leg. So perhaps, maybe inflation is coming and it's going to get nasty, but maybe not. All the talk about rising interest rates and inflation could be exactly the talk that we're being led to have. We're being told, hey, there's no ice cream on the hot day, but we know full well there's a couple of fruit juice already in the glove box. Cool. So if I believe inflation is a bit ephemeral and it's a transient ghost from Christmas past or something like that, don't worry. Take the cheap money and be glad. If you believe inflation is verging on super bad, though, lock in a five-year interest rate. But here's another frequently asked question. How should I respond to what may happen? Is it really that simple? Well, there's a few reasons why you may want to fix your mortgage. I think mostly it should be about risk management. Then, it's about ensuring you can minimize your interest costs over the lifetime of your mortgage. Lastly, it's about creating a financial structure that's aligned around you and who you are and how you conceptualize your financial affairs. Now, I know that sounds a little bit vague, but that's the best way I can describe it. I'm of the view, personally, that it's not so much about the rate that you pay on your mortgage, though. It's about the rate at which you're repaying it. That's the most critical thing. With refixing, though, just like any financial decision... What you're accountable to is your response to things that you cannot control. So don't blame Tony Alexander or Adrian or even me. If you fix for a cheap rate, but not for long enough, or you get a more expensive rate, but the higher rates never eventuate, that's on you. So the best way to figure out how long to fix for, though, after you've looked at the micro and the macro, is to align the loan structure to what you believe in the most. It sounds so simple, but I've rarely seen people make a rational decision in this space by following this framework. For the most part, in fact, this is how things actually work. We choose the second cheapest interest rate and then we wrap a rationale around it. Now, when you break it all down, I'd also suggest that how we arrive at many of our financial decisions involves gut feelings. But how we explain our financial decisions often involves precise logic. If you believe with certainty that interest rates are continually on the rise, for example, and you're not selling your home for five years, then why wouldn't you fix your mortgage for five years? On the other hand, if you believe that this was all smoke and mirrors and interest rates were going to fall away again soon, then why would you fix for anything longer than one year? Now, so far, I've skirted around the idea of putting it all on a long-term, more expensive five-year rate or all on a shorter-term, cheaper one-year rate, which you would arrive at based on your beliefs around what you think is coming next. Now, right about now, you might be thinking, can I just simply split the mortgage in two and do both? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, you can. In fact, when you're refixing, you can do all sorts of things. You can fix your loan term for as many components as you desire. Half on a one year, half on a five year, all of it on a three year, some of it on one, two, and a four, and a five, and a bit on floating to allow for voluntary contributions throughout the year. You can even make lump sum payments at time of refixing. You can increase your regular payments or revert to the original loan term. You can even change banks. All these things, by the way, they take a little bit of time and paperwork, and it's a little bit of a hassle, but all things are definitely possible. Here's the thing, though. 
I need to mention a significant problem associated with making your loan structure overly complex. I've seen many loan setups crafted with precision, allowing for a very idealistic goal of debt repayment, which may or may not in fact be suitable for borrowers of every age and stage. A common way is to split up the mortgage and fix a chunk on each and every option with the idea to make a lump sum payment off floating mortgage accounts where the available credit is then used to apply to each of the yearly tranches that expire. Sound confusing, doesn't it? But there's variations on this theme. But in most cases, it's a template wrapped up in a marketing program aimed to generate more mortgage business for someone. Here's what I've observed happens for the vast majority of people who adopt too much complexity with their loan structures. The realities of life, like having children, renovating, selling, upgrading, more often than not, more than offsets the clever wizardry in the borrower's loan structure. Now, I know this is slightly tangential, but I'd go so far as to say that there's real wisdom in considering this question before you get overly aggressive with debt repayment. Am I actually at peak debt? Yes, I'm paying more interest the longer I have this mortgage for. But if I'm going to be borrowing more soon again anyway, why am I aggressively repaying the mortgage and feeling bad or good about how I'm tracking? Now, I'm not suggesting that you should never get rid of your mortgage, but just like with any conservative investment strategy, it's best done when you have a short time frame, right? The vast majority of borrowers, I suspect, especially those who are in their 30s, grossly underestimate their ability to repay debt in their 50s. Moving on though, I recently helped someone tidy up their mortgage which consisted of over 32 different loan accounts. At the start of the setup, it sounded like it made complete sense to them, but after a bit of time had passed, it became an absolute nightmare for them as they had to arrange for a refix on a loan account roughly every four months. So, a bit of thought can lead to a loan structure that balances out your expectation around interest rates and inflation, but just don't get too carried away with overly idealistic setups, usually to do with debt repayment. Just like with investing, there's often a limit as to the benefits of diversification. Okay, so you've been great if you've hung in there so far. Now, I'd like to chat through a little bit around the numbers. Now, don't worry, I'm of the view that numbers in an audio podcast aren't actually that helpful for most of you. And for those of you who are interested in this sort of stuff, you can model it probably in Excel, but also refer to the show notes to see my maths here. Now, I'm going to break down the costs associated with adopting the two main strategies discussed in the show. Again, these are not the two options I would suggest you choose. Rather, these are very two different strategies used to illustrate two two extreme views that may exist out there today. So let's assume you have a $500,000 mortgage for this example, and you're fixing it for one year at 3%, or you're fixing it for five years at 4%. These aren't actual interest rates, FYI. So option one is what I would call the active strategy, which involves fixing your mortgage for one year, then refixing it each and every one of the next subsequent five years. Option two is more of a passive strategy, which involves fixing your mortgage for five years. Out of these two options, 
putting aside all the reasons we've already covered around how to make up your own mind with this, what's the actual cost difference? Again, if you refer to the show notes, you'll see the difference over the entire five years of choosing between the five-year fixed rate loan versus a a rolling one-year fixed rate strategy. The difference is about $25,000. So for these numbers, remember, I'm assuming the five-year rate is 1% more expensive than the one-year rate today. I'm also assuming the loan is interest only, and most importantly, I'm making the assumption that the one-year rate stays the same for the entire five years. There's the rub, and more on this in a second. $25,000 appears to be a huge amount of money to spend on the longer-term fixed rate, right? If it was an insurance contract, and it effectively is cash flow insurance, then you'd only really want to pay it if you were firmly convinced that interest rates were going to increase sharply, right? But as I alluded to, the one-year rate is subject to change each and every year that you fix it for. If interest rates do in fact increase, how much does it need to increase by in order to make the five-year rate attractive? This is one of the most frequently asked questions that I get around this, and the way to go about answering it is fairly simple. Again, refer to the notes for the math, but let's assume over the next five years, a one-year interest rate will be cheaper than the five-year term for two of the years, it'll be the same for one of the years, and it'll be more expensive for two of the years. Two of the next one-year terms, you can fix it for 3%. Assume you fix for 4% on one of the years, but for two of the other years, you could fix for as much as 5%. And you'd average out an interest rate equal to the current five-year term. Hopefully that makes sense to you. In other words, you have to be pretty confident of interest rates actually increasing by an amount which is equal to or greater than the distance between the shorter term and longer term options for at least 50% of the term of the longer term option. Does that make sense? Again, tap or swipe over the cover art and you'll see the maths. Okay, we're nearing the end of this episode around refixing your mortgage. Whoever thought somebody could talk by themselves for this long about this topic? But hopefully you're seeing that the science and the mathematics behind here cannot exclusively be used to locate the truth of a matter, especially with respect to a refixing strategy. There's no formula. And even if there was, I suspect many of us would probably override it anyway. It really does come back down to what's happening in your world overlaid with what's happening in the wider world, with only a small dash of mathematics in the end for spice. That's it. Having a plan really is the plan. Now, I've been really keen to do a short episode like this for a while, as I know this has been a question that many of you may have been coming to grips with at the moment. To be honest, though, I still can't know if this is enough to help you formulate your own strategy. If you're ever in the space of refixing your mortgage, I have some suggestions for you that might be helpful. And please remember this area of personal finance or any area of finance really, isn't something that you need to learn once. It's not about simply getting the low down and then moving on. No, it's about building a framework of understanding that can be continually updated. So continually get advice around this is what I'm saying. The next steps, if you're refixing in 2021, getting some advice. Number one, talk to your bank. However, talking to your bank about some advice around this space may result only in an explanation around what the options are, not necessarily what you should consider doing. So talking to your bank is kind of like the same thing as calling me in the office and pushing option number six. It does absolutely nothing. Now, 
What some banks have done in the last few years, however, is pretty cool. What they've done is they've made it a little easier for you to select your fixed rate term again when it expires using your app or your online banking. Still, it's hard to find an example outside of making things easier where a bank has actually provided financial advice around refixing specific to a customer's need. Now, if I'm wrong here, Mr. and Mrs. Banker, I'm, and I possibly am, really sorry, and I'd like to know. So, if you get no joy, though, in pushing option number six, try this next idea. Number two, get in contact with a mortgage advisor. Now, some financial advisors, like myself, work in the area of mortgages as well as other areas, and some work primarily just with mortgages. I think either way, the idea is to get some bespoke advice on what could be a good loan structure for your exact situation. If you used a mortgage advisor to set up your loan originally, I'd really like to encourage you to reach out to them to get some advice around refixing and get into a habit of periodically checking in with them. They may have a clear picture of your current situation and considering they're outside of your normal world, they may be able to poke and prod you in just the right way to get good outcomes financially. Okay, a little bit of advice. Deliver consistently over time achieves great financial outcomes. I personally have the view that making it easier to make financial decisions, while it's awesome, could lead to poorer outcomes for some groups of people. Getting advice is what makes all the difference. Best suggestion I have for those of you with no connection to a financial advisor whatsoever. Here's what you should do. Check out the show notes. You'll see a link to Financial Advice New Zealand. Select mortgage as a filter and you're on your way. That'll come up with a list of people in your area that you can approach. Before you make a decision to refix your mortgage, although you may feel like it's insignificant in terms of decisions, try to get some advice. The advisor may initially take you through a bit of a discovery session or what I would call the initial consultation. The idea here is to get a broad understanding of your financial position, your short, medium, and long-term goals, and some of the ways you may consider using property to achieve your goals. Every advisor is different though, so if you get a Muppet, just keep looking for another one. Now, if you keep getting Muppets and you're certain that it's not you who the Muppet is, well, then at least you tried. Let's do a quick summary. When approaching the task of refixing your mortgage, start with the micro before you get to the macro. What's happening in your world before you focus on what's happening in the world outside? When you do consider the outside world, more or less, it's about inflation. You either believe it's here today and gone tomorrow, and the response to it tomorrow will be the same response as it was yesterday, or you believe it could get much, much worse and for much, much longer and be dealt with in ways we may not understand. Either way, you would do well to factor in what you believe will happen in your mortgage structure, and by doing so, you can provide the maximum protection from rising interest rates. Having a plan, remember, is the plan. Don't get too complex with your loan structure. Break fees can be expensive. And while a staggered loan setup sounds sexy, it's also really difficult to move away from. Lastly, consider getting some advice, ideally some personalized advice around the big picture with a particular focus on the decision that you have to hand. Now, I operate under a fee-based model for the personalized mortgage advice that I offer. And in some cases, the fee can be refunded depending on the bank that you're using and whether or not you're an existing client. If you want to learn more, you guessed it, check out the very bottom this time of the show notes and you'll see a link to learn more about what that service involves. That's it for me and thanks for your patience and especially thank you to those who listened in who don't even have a mortgage. Amazing if you actually exist. Next week, I'm looking forward to having another discussion with a financial markets authority. It's going to be fun. Until then, have a great week. 
Thanks for listening in to the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast, a show that's about helping you, the everyday Kiwi, build wealth. To learn more about the show, please visit nzeverydayinvestor.com or visit your show notes on your podcast player. There, you can find out how to make contact, sign up to our newsletter, and check out previous episodes. We're on a mission to increase wealth for everyday Kiwis. If you'd like to support what we do, then there's a few things that you can do. Write a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Share episodes with your friends or support us financially on Patreon. Before we finish up, just another reminder that what was discussed today is for educational purposes only. Ideally, before acting on anything covered here, please contact your trusted financial advisor or do your own research. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you next time around.